Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. So, uh, as uh, we've already said, we are in a new series, Galatians. Last week, we had Braden. Uh, he preached on Galatians 1, uh, and it was about Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, really talking about how there uh, is this uh, the true gospel and then the, the false gospel or a gospel that is not true. And this gospel that is not true was kind of doing the rounds in Galatia. And, and, and Paul was saying you need to stand to, to the true gospel, the true message. And any other gospel that is different from this gospel is a false gospel and actually is eternally condemned. It's not a real gospel. He said, even if I preach this, this fake gospel or this unreal gospel, then I'm condemned. And so he's pushing against this, this gospel that had kind of infiltrated uh, the community there in Galatia. And so this morning, we continue that and we get to really find out what was the issue. What is the issue here uh, with Paul and this false gospel and this true gospel. And like I said, we're going to jump straight into it. At the end of chapter one and and the beginning of chapter two, Paul talks about his kind of his own credentials as an apostle. He says, I had an encounter with God. Jesus, I saw him, I was blind, I was converted, and then he, and he, he, he taught me uh, the things of, 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 the, of what it means to follow him, what it means to be a, an apostle. And he talked about how his calling was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were anyone who weren't Jewish, uh, followed the, the Old Testament, and that's the majority of the world. And so Paul's mission was to be an apostle to them, and we, we pick this story up in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 11, and it's really a crucial, crucial point in the, in the church's early history. This could have gone either way. The church could have become lots of little sects or, or different kind of cliques and, or Jewish aspects, and, and there wouldn't have been no overarching Christianity. Uh, and so this is a really, really important moment in the early church. So Acts chapter 2, verse 11. I'm reading from a piece of paper today, uh, not the Bible, because I like this translation. Uh, This is a little bit easier to understand. So here we go. This is what it says, Acts chapter 2, verse 11. It says, but when Peter came to Antioch, Peter is an apostle. Peter was, uh, you know, Peter, the guy who walked on water. Antioch was a couple of hundred k's north of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where Christianity started, as you know, and then it spreads out. And Antioch was the base that the Apostle Paul, that's where the Apostle Paul kind of starts and leads off for all his ministry and his mission trips. That's where he lived, in Antioch. Peter comes up and visits the Christians in Antioch. And he says here, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a room when two people have had an argument. It, it, it can be quite uncomfortable, yeah? Uh, and you're kind of like, oh, I'm out of here. See, I've got to go and watch Home and Away. Um, and, and so you kind of disappear. This is a really tense moment. You've got two, I mean, these are the big dogs. Peter, the Apostle Peter, and the, the Apostle Paul. It doesn't, in the early church, it doesn't get any bigger than that unless Jesus comes along. These guys are the heavyweights. And it says here, Paul, who's writing this, says, I had to oppose him, Peter, the Apostle Peter, to his face. 
didn't Facebook about him, didn't tweet about him, didn't gossip or send an email. He went to him and spoke to him face to face. And you're going to see in a little while he does this publicly. Um, so I, I reckon if I was there, I'd be kind of sneaking out. Oh, golly gosh, this is intense. Uh, but this is what he does because it's a really, really important issue. This is what he says. He says, when Peter first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. That's the only time you ever hear that word, isn't it, is in church, the word circumcised. Hands up if you ever hear that word spoken out loud anywhere outside of church, unless you're a doctor. What are you, school teacher? Do you hear that word often, do you? <laughs> it's just an interesting... We talk about it, we talked about it last week, but again, being circumcised as a Jewish male was one of the ways, uh, part of the law, to be clean, uh, ritually clean, uh, and to eat with someone who was not circumcised, who was not a Jewish uh, circumcised male, was to also then be unclean. Now, Peter knows that he doesn't live by that anymore. Peter is a Jewish man who was circumcised, uh, and he had become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and he knew that that old way of being morally clean through circumcisions or, or through the food that you eat no longer applied. If you remember the story of Peter, he has a, a vision in Acts chapter 10. He's on this roof sleeping and he has this vision of this big sheet, this big white sheet coming down and there's all this different type of food on there. There's Nando's and all this stuff. And, 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 and they're generally food that Jewish people wouldn't eat because it would be unclean. And he hears this, this voice that says, kill and eat, kill and eat. Three times I think he hears this. And Peter's like, are you sure this is, this is unclean? And, and, and Jesus is saying to him, it's not. Nothing can make you unclean. That can't make you unclean. Not what you put in your mouth, it's what comes out. It's not what, what goes in. And then he has this experience where he goes to a Gentile man, Cornelius. And Cornelius, who's a Gentile, not a Jew, so he wasn't circumcised, becomes a Christian. And then he's filled by the Holy Spirit and Peter's like, wow, this, this gospel is for everyone. Jew, Gentile, male, female, rich, poor, black, white, it's for everyone. And we don't have to worry about those rules to try to make ourselves right with God. And so Peter knows that. And we see him here. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were circumcised. He had fellowship. He had community. There was belonging. It was just, we're, we're all one in Jesus Christ. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, now James was another heavy hitter, another apostle, uh, they weren't coming on behalf of James, they weren't representing James, they didn't come with James' authority, James was kind of the head of the church in Jerusalem. When they came, some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. So he removed himself. Peter, when these guys from Jerusalem, these Jewish believers who were circumcised. Um, he actually, in another translation, said that uh, they were from the circumcision group, that these guys came from the circumcision group, like they were some type of gang, the circumcision group. I, I don't know what their logo looked like, but anyway, it <laughs> we're from the circumcision group. And, and, and so as soon as they come, sorry about that, as soon as they come, Peter acts completely different. Completely different. He actually now avoids the Gentile believers. I don't know if you've ever felt or been in a room where you're talking to someone and then someone else walks in and that person you're talking to kind of just leaves. 
and sees that this other person maybe is more important than you and, and, and you feel like, oh, did I do something wrong? Am I not as... What, what, what's the problem? And, and that's what happened. Paul avoids them. Paul no longer eats. Now, remember to eat with someone in that context, in that culture, is to say we're on the same level. We belong together. We're, it's family. Uh, and so Peter wouldn't do that anymore. It says that he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism. So the whole reason... So Peter knew in his heart and his mind that he, he could eat with them. That it wasn't circumcision that made you holy or unholy or clean or unclean. But his actions didn't demonstrate that. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. So these were Jewish believers, but they also insisted that if you're a Gentile, you would have to then get circumcised. As a result, other believers, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. That word hypocrisy there is this, it literally means play acting, like he's wearing a mask. That Peter would, was, was kind of a minute ago, hey, hey, it's all good, we're one big family, there's unity and a Jew, Gentile, there's no barrier. Oops, a circumcision group, I know better not, hey, I don't even know you, I've never met you kind of thing. And, and, and so Paul says, Peter, there's hypocrisy, mate. What you're doing is hypocritical. And not only that... You're denying the truth of the gospel. You're not walking in the truth of the gospel, but you're doing more than that. What else is he doing? It says this, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Peter makes himself a hypocrite by being afraid of the criticism. So there's a fear of man here, isn't there? He's afraid what these people may say, even though he knows that what the gospel says is that we're all one that we don't need to worry about uh, cleanliness rules. Gentiles are on the same level. And this is, this is a really important point. You see, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. We, 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 we're all on the same level. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter how much money you've got. It doesn't matter if you've been going to church for 50 years. It doesn't matter if you're the Apostle Peter. You're going to get caught on on the foot of the cross. We are all, it is level. Peter wasn't living this. Peter wasn't showing this. He was being a hypocrite. And then the worst thing is it leads other people astray. Even Barnabas. Barnabas is a great guy. Barnabas is one of the most inclusive guys in in the early church, an encourager of of people. And and somehow he's gotten caught up and thinking, oh, wow, I I can't eat with Gentiles because this whole circumcision group. Keep reading. Then in verse 14, it says, then in verse 14, it says this, when I saw that they were not following the truth, this is Paul, he says, when I saw they were not following the truth, uh, again, some translations say acting in line or walking in a straight line of the gospel. When I saw that they weren't walking in a straight line of the gospel message, I said to Peter, this is the bit where it gets like, ooh, I said to Peter in front of all the others, so I'm assuming there's a full room, there's Gentile believers there on one side. It's like when you go to high school lunch, the boys are eating on one side, the girls are... The Gentile believers are on one side and the Jewish believers are on the other side and Paul walks in and he calls him on it. He says this, I, I said to Peter in front of all the others. 
This is Peter who walked on water. This is a Peter who Jesus said, hey, Peter, I'm going to build my church. You're going to go out and you're going to, you're going to be an apostle to the, 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 the Jews. This is that Peter. In everyone else, in front of everyone else, he says, since you, hey, Peter, you're a Jew by birth. You've been born a Jew. And uh, you've discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile. So he's saying this in front of the uh, circumcision group. He says, Peter, you've discarded the Jewish traditions, the Jewish laws, and you've been living like a Gentile. You've been eating with Gentiles. Why now, he says, are you trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? The message says uh, that, Paul says, why are you trying to impress your old Jewish cronies? He says, you've been living like a... He's, so Peter's in a weird spot now because he's been caught out in front of the circumcision group and he's been caught out in front of the Gentile group because he's trying to make the Gentiles do this and now the circumcision group know that he's been hanging out and eating food with it. He's been found out. Verse 15, it goes on and says this. And this is really, really important. If you're not listening, just listen for the next 10 seconds. You... And I, he says, are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. He's saying, we've been born, privileged to be born Jewish people, so we understand the law, not like these Gentile people. He says, yet we know that a person is made right. This is the most important bit right here. We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. The word there, made right, is this word, justified. Yet we know that a person is justified with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by being circumcised or uncircumcised, not by who we eat with and who we don't eat with. And they know that because they've tried that. He goes on and says, And we have believed in Christ Jesus. So why have we believed in Christ Jesus, Peter? So that we and might be made right with God, so that we might be justified with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. He said it two times now. For no one will be, ever be made right with God by obeying the law. It's impossible. You can't be made right with, by, uh, by obeying the law. The law is good, but all the law does is actually point out how much uh, of a failure you are or how much you've missed God's perfect mark. And he says, Peter, you know that. Peter, you've accepted Jesus, and that's the only way that you can be justified. Here, this translation says to be made right with God. But it's this really important doctrine, and it's central to what it means to be a Christian. It's justification, justification by faith. We are justified not by what we do, not by what we've done, not by the, the, the so-called religious things that we achieve or do or the way we act. No. It's purely the work of Jesus. It's purely faith and belief in Jesus. Now, you, you may be a Christian, you've been coming to church for a long time, you're like, oh, I've heard this, but are you living it? We're gonna, this is what the book of Galatians talks about. Are you actually living it? And maybe you're not a Christian, Maybe you're not a Christian today, or maybe you've, uh, you are a Christian who's kind of got caught in legalism. This is, this is unique to Christianity, by the way. Justification by faith, to be made right with God by faith, is actually unique to Christianity. No other faith system, no other religion does this. 
every other religion, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, uh, secularism, all of them, say you have to do things to get to God. Every single one of them. Christianity is unique, Jesus is superior, and Jesus says, no, actually, you don't. And sometimes that can be hard to hear, I don't. <gasps> That's not fair, we'll know there's a just God, and the just God knows that we can't pay our price or get pay to get to heaven, so to speak, or pay to make our way right with God. I'm going to send my son, Jesus, who will pay that price. And so what these circumcision group, the cool guys that came up from Jerusalem were saying is that you need Jesus plus something else. What was that plus something? The law, circumcision, and not hanging out with uncertainty. So they added something to the gospel. And that's why Paul says, no, no, you, you, you can't do that. Here's a definition here. Here it is. It says, it is the good news about uh, justification. It is the good news that we sinners, guilty and under the judgment of God, may be pardoned and accepted by his sheer grace, his free and unmerited favour on the ground of his son's death and not for any works or merits of our own. More briefly, the truth of the gospel is the doctrine of justification, which means acceptance before God or be made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone. These guys were trying to say, no, no, it's, it's, it's Jesus, but you need to have this as well. That is not justification by faith alone. That is by works. That is by works. A good way to look at justification or what Jesus does when we, when we actually become a Christian and we say yes to Jesus and believe in Jesus, uh, to be declared righteous. That's what the word justification literally means. That we are now declared righteous. doesn't mean we're perfect. <laughs> it doesn't mean we've earned that. It doesn't mean that we will always do righteous things. Actually, there's th this passage kind of talks about that Jesus is righteous and he declares us righteous. It's kind of like in my Bible here is... Well, actually, that could probably pass as abstract art these days. But that's actually just a dirty piece of paper with lots of scribble on it. Now, you didn't know that was in my Bible, did you? And so, so in many ways, that's, that's what justification is. When, when, you be, when you become a Christian, it's an, it's an actual thing that happens there and then. It's not something that grows progressively. That's sanctification. And we become more like Jesus. Glorification is when we, we become fully, when Jesus returns or we go to glory. But at the point of salvation, we are justified, which means that, which represents our lives, goes in here and you can't even see it. God doesn't look at it. Jesus covers it. It's covered by the work of Jesus on the cross. It's, it's, it's that's still there, I suppose, but he's paid the price. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see it. He sees who? He sees Jesus. Doesn't even see our works. Doesn't see all those good things. Now, he wants us to live a life that is pure and set apart, which Paul's going to talk about later in Galatians, but that does not save us. That does not save us. And we keep reading here, he, he, verse 17, uh, I'd love to have kind of been there and seen Peter's face and reaction, but he goes on and Paul says this, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then... We are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. So he's saying, oh, let's say we uh, become a Christians, uh, we, we say yes to Jesus, 
and so we can be made right with God, so we can be declared righteous, and then we find out we're guilty because we've stopped obeying the law. He says, that's, that's ridiculous. Would that mean Christ has led us to sin? Absolutely not. Rather, he says, I'm a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of law, I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. All it showed was that I couldn't keep the law. I ever lied about it or pretended I was good at it. I couldn't keep, keep perfect. It just wasn't, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so they might live for God. Here's another beautiful passage, verse 20. If you're asleep, wake up again. Here it is. My old self has been crucified with Christ. My old life has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there is no need, no need for Christ to have died. No need. If all you needed was to be circumcised or to follow some ritually clean diet or, or something to be made right with God, then Jesus died for nothing. It was an absolute waste of time. Now, you might be saying, well, again, we don't, we don't have uh, the circumcision and, and the whole Jewish customs and, and rules, and, and so we don't follow that. But I want us to look at, uh, uh, think about it a little bit differently. Here's, here's the, the cross, because we do have Jesus plus something sometimes as Christians, and the church's history has been a combination of that. Braden touched on the Reformation with Martin Luther. He, he's, that was, a, again, another pivotal moment in the church that said, no, salvation can't be bought. Salvation isn't dispersed by some religious man. It's paid for, and all you have to do is accept it. And so we, we have these different things that we can, we can put in uh, as a requirement one of the ones is this box here, which is spiritual gifts. Can everyone see that? Spiritual gifts. Some people actually say, uh, depending on what, you've got to have a certain spiritual gift to actually be saved. So, so if you don't have a certain spiritual gift, then you're not a Christian. You're not declared righteous. I think I've told you this story, but I love this story. Uh, years ago, I had a group of ladies, dear old ladies, come knock on my door and uh, they were handing out these tracts, Christian tracts. I'm like, oh, okay, this is really good. And, and she, there was one lady saying, um, you know, you've got you to believe in Jesus. And I said, oh, I'm actually a pastor and um, that kind. And she said, oh, okay. And then she said to me, do you speak in tongues? Do you remember me sharing this story? It's a great story. I love this story. And um, I said, no, I don't speak in tongues. Now, I don't have an issue with tongues. I think that's a gift of the Spirit, speaking in tongues. I think it's a spiritual gift, a spiritual gift to edify the church. But actually, the Bible's quite clear that not everyone have the same gifts and not everyone will get the same gifts. And so I, I don't speak in it. Maybe if God wanted to give it to me, he would give it to me, but I don't. And she said, well, you need to speak in tongues because if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not actually saved. And she pointed to the passage in Matthew or Mark where it talks about uh, that they will speak in tongues, they will cast out demons, they will be bitten by snakes, they'll drink poison. Or, uh, you know that one? And so I was like, right, 
I went to my laundry. I said, wait. And I got some methylated spirits. And I brought it and I said, well, drink this. The Bible passage says if you drink poison, you won't. I don't know what I would have done if she did drink it. <laughs> that would have been interesting. Uh, she's like, no, you're taking it out of context. I said, no, I'm not. Not taking it out of context. But what they tried to do was add a spiritual gift. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Preaching or being a pastor is seen sometimes as being more spiritual and, and, and have, a, have an anointing and all that. No. You know, the Word of God says anyone who, who, who accepts Jesus is declared righteous, but is actually all Christians are anointed. You're anointed in the Spirit. And so, so we sometimes have this spiritual gift is kind of an, an a plus this. The cross plus a spiritual gift. Certain spiritual gifts are, are more, therefore you're more spiritual. Here, oh, this is the one I was originally thinking. Was this one here, church, going to church. That if, now again, there's nothing wrong with going to church. But sometimes we, we actually make it a requirement saying that uh, if, if you don't go to church, you need to believe in Jesus and go to a church. And the Bible talks about being a part of a community. Or maybe sometimes the church has to look a certain way. If the church isn't like this, then it's not, it's not Christian. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a church like that. But you have to come to church. Another one is, oh, that's a spare one. Uh, this one here, uh, knowledge of the Bible. You have to know lots about the Bible. Otherwise, you're not a real Christian. Or maybe this one here, oh, being a good person. That maybe if you just be a good person and you do more good than bad, then, then you're okay. Just, just be, be a good person um, and, and just act like a good person. You may not be a good person, but actually if you, if you look like a good person, plus you, you go to Jesus and you know that you go to church and you might have a spiritual gift, then, then you're okay. Here's this one. Here, oh, this one's a good one. Actually, let's fill this box up. Um, this one is giving money. That if, if I give, therefore, I am saved. And actually, there's a whole theology around this one. The prosperity theology that teaches that if I give, I will receive from God. The more I give, the more I will receive, as in God will look after me financially. But, but the, the, the thinking behind there is to pay for, for Jesus, to pay for blessings. That's not goodness, is it? That's not the gospel or the true gospel, but there it is. And, and sometimes we, we even think that. If we give, then we're going to get to heaven. Uh, here's another one. Uh, service, serving. If I serve, I have to serve. Um, what is this one? Religious acts. So some, sometimes things that are actually really good, like praying and, and going to life groups or whatever, there's nothing wrong with them in and of themselves, but actually we can make them legalistic. And let's see what's over here. Ah, oh, this is a good one as well. Do this one quite a bit. Uh, avoiding people groups. If you think, well, I, well maybe it's a, a demographic of people. Maybe it's a, a nationality of people. Maybe it's uh, a financial kind of demographic or where they come from a certain area. And you think, well, I, you know, if I'm if I near them or if I mingle with them, then I'm going to catch something or I'm not going to be as spiritual. And, uh, and so we do that all the time. We do that in the church even. 
Um, so we say if, we, if we're not hanging out with them, then we must be clean. So that's one there. And actually, this one was one that you can stick on whatever you want um, because we've all got these kind of legalistic things that we build up around. And actually, what you'll find is, what do you start losing vision of? The cross. The more of these things that you start building up, and this is what Paul was saying, this is what Paul was saying was so important. If we don't, I was going to say snippet then, but that's... Then, then, then it's, going to, it's dangerous. Because it, it hides the cross. Look at this uh, definition of legalism here up on the screen. Two definitions of legalism, um, and I love them both. Um, first one by a guy named Jack Deere, theologian. He says, the essence of legalism is trusting in the religious activity. So we start to trust in this stuff rather than trusting in God. It's putting our confidence in a practice rather than a person. And what I've seen is lots of Christians, they put all their faith in this stuff, and actually when life gets really hard, this stuff isn't as strong as this stuff. And they actually think God has let them down because they build their faith on service or or being a good person or giving money. And actually, you could be a really good person who gives money, who comes to church all the time, who actually knows a little bit about the Bible, and you might not even be a Christian. And you might not even be declared righteous, because you haven't said yes to Jesus on the cross. You haven't found faith in that. You've put faith in this. Second one here, I love this quote, Scott McKnight, he says, legalism is any practice or belief that is added to the gospel. That's what the, the circumcision group were doing, that compromises the sufficiency of Christ as Saviour, so that means that uh, Jesus Christ as Saviour is not enough, and jeopardises the adequacy of the Spirit in moral guidance. Legalism demands that one uh, adopt a group's special markers in order to be fully acceptable to God. We do this all the time. So the Church of Galatia, the circumcision group, what was the special marker? Circumcision. Uh, if you know the, the story of 1 Corinthians, or is it 2 Corinthians, the church at Corinthians, they had their special marker as actually speaking in tongues. And so that was a special marker. And, and to be a part of that group, you needed to, to know what that special marker is, to be acceptable, to be fully acceptable to God. And what do we get? We get a spiritual hierarchy, don't we? But remember, at the ground of the cross, it is what? It's level. It's level. Um, it's level. Legalism is the enemy of grace. Legalism is the, the enemy of goodness. Goodness. So let's have, uh, a, a, there's a few reasons why, let me try to wrap this up now, uh, why legalism is, is bad. One, legalism is bad because, because it pushes against God's grace. It denies God's grace. It acts as if you, you earn favour for doing. Legalism produces one of two things. One, it produces pride. Yes, I'm, I'm ticking everything off the list. Okay, so it produces pride or it produces depression. As in, this is too hard, I can't do this. I can't take everything off the list. And actually, it, it drives things underground. It drives addictive behaviours because you, you try to put this front on. So legalism is bad and wrong. It produces the things that God absolutely despises, things like pride, self-loathing, hypocrisy, self-righteousness. 
First point is this in regards to legalism. Legalism is, often is noted by an overemphasis on performance. It's what can be seen. And so if, if it's being seen, then it must be spiritual. That's what legalism does. Remember the story where um, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray? He says, don't be like the hypocrites who like to go out into the streets and stand on a box and, and start praying like, no, 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 like really spiritual and everyone can see them. And uh, Don't be like that, he says. One, you sound terrible. But two, he says, what does he actually say? He says, go away and what? Hide. He literally says, go and hide yourself. Go into a room, go into a closet and hide yourself. Don't let anyone know you're doing it. Are you doing it for the approval of man, he says, or are you doing it because it's with me and you? He says, if you're fasting, don't walk around like, oh, I'm far. He says, actually, I think he says, put oil or water, make yourself look fresh so no one knows that you're fasting. Don't, don't talk about it. And, and so this is the thing about legalism. It's, it's an overemphasis on performance and, and outward appearance. The other thing is, is legalism always erects boundaries between people. So it builds a boundary between God in, sometimes, uh, but it also builds a boundary between people. That's what was happening in that story with Peter. The ins and the outs. If you're not doing this, you're on the outer. You would have seen something, uh, this before, behave, believe, belong. Legalism says you have to behave before you can believe, before you belong to the group. So you behave, meaning whether it be certain behaviours, certain spiritual markers, then you can believe in Jesus. Then you can belong in this community. I don't think Jesus does that. In fact, Jesus pushes against that. Peter's push, Paul's pushing, no, no, you, you don't believe, behave first because, one, you can't. You don't. Then, because you behave, believe, because in that, what's the point of Jesus dying on the cross? Then there's another two, and I'm not sure whether which one is the right one out of the bottom two. Believe, then you belong, so you believe first, then you belong about, about, uh, belong to the part of that community, and then you behave. Your behaviour starts to change. Jesus had a, a lady at the well, the lady caught in adultery. She, there was a sense of belonging and acceptance first. Okay, there was a sense of believing. She believed in Jesus. And then what does he say right at the end? Go and what? Sin no more. So there is this behaving. That's, but that doesn't start. It's not at the beginning. It's not so you have to behave so then God can listen to you, that Jesus will accept you. No, that's the, that's the last part of the product. Now, as Christians, sometimes we don't do that. And that's not what Paul's saying here either. But it's the, the behaving bit. It doesn't get you to the cross. All is welcome. The ground is level. Belong, believe, behave. This is what was happening here. This is uh, a picture that looks pretty good. <laughs> no, a bit childish. Anyway, um, this kind of image here kind of is a description or an image of the diversity of humanity. People, different races, different heights, different abilities... But it's diversity of humanity. As humans, we are diverse. You only have to look around. It's, we're diverse. And what was happening in, 
Galatians was this, there was a, a bounded set, meaning there was the ins and outs. And everyone in the ins were the same, had to be the same, had to look the same, had to smell the same. And that, what was the bit that bounded was, oops, I always get this wrong, the works of the law. So what was this kind of boundary was circumcision rules about food. And there was a real clear who's in and who's out. That's what they wanted to know. The gospel doesn't work like that. The gospel is like this, which is a centred set. And what is a centred set means people are drawn to the centre or orientating towards the centre, orientating towards Jesus, the common centre, which is Jesus. Now, there's still kind of a, a boundary in some ways, but the boundary is not in necessary behaviour. The boundary is in people choose not to be orientated towards the cross. Anyone can come towards the cross. There's no fence around it. Whereas the other one, the bounded one, there's a fence around it. What is the fence around it? There's circumcision and rules about food. Whereas a centred set is there's no boundary around it. You just orientate towards it. It's kind of like this picture here. Why is it like this picture here? Let me remember. They're cows. Are they cows? Bulls? Animals? So farmers, if you look at the farming techniques around the world, Europe, they have cows and they have fences, don't they? To keep the cows where? In the farm. All right? In Australia, cattle stations, do they have fences? Most times they don't. Don't ruin my illustration, okay? <laughs> the massive cattle... Some of these cattle stations are the size of entire countries. Now, they don't have fences. What do they have? Water. Very good. She's an A. She's going straight to the top here. <laughs> they have water. Why? Because they know that the cows will be attracted and orientate towards the what? The water. Now, the cows may wander around a bit, um, but they orientate back to the... This is what this centred, cross-centred uh, set is about. Jesus said, what did Jesus say? But those who drink the water I give what? will never be thirsty again. And so what we try to do, we say, if you want to be close to Jesus, we're going to put all these rules in here, you've got to stay inside the fence. And that works for a little while. But it needs to be like this, because it's, it's a real, authentic relationship. I come here because I know I, I drink from this living well. It's not rules-bound, it's, it's Christ's cross-centred Bound. Third point is this, legalism creates an atmosphere that is saturated by judgmentalism. I don't know if judgmentalism is a word. When I typed it up, it did the squirrely red thing under it. Um, is it a word? Thank you. Um, I don't, well, why do it have the squirrely red thing under it? Oh, because it is spelled wrong. <laughs> there you go. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, don't judge me. <laughs> so basically, what, what, with legalism, it just ramps up the judgmental spirit, doesn't it? it it's kind of, and it becomes this, I'm better than this person or that person's doing, and we start looking at, and instead of focusing on the cross, legalism creates this almost competition amongst people. 
And, and that's a judgmental spirit. Wow, look what that person's doing. Look what this person's doing. And actually, the other thing that, that can happen there is then we start judging people outside the church. Where we say their lifestyles, their behaviours are wrong. Well, you know what? If you look at the writings of the New Testament, it's, Paul never talks about the people outside of the church and their behaviour. It's all people in the church. And so somehow we think we need to control the way people outside of the church are behaving. No. They, now, there's consequences to their actions, there's consequences to the way they live, but we shouldn't be saying you need to live like this, because that's saying behave before you believe, so you can belong, doesn't it? But so often the church will tell the world, this is how you, you should live. No. This is how I choose to live because I believe it's the best way. I believe this is the best way for you to have life to the full. You choose how you want to live. I, I follow a God who's th- this here. He's paid and declared. We, we point people to the cross, not to changing behavior. Can you see the difference? So legalism creates this judgmentalism or competition in the church, but also it can create us to look outside of the church. Now, there is a tension here because sometimes the church is called to be a prophetic voice to our community and to our nation. And so that can be a real tension. And so sometimes when we see our nation heading in a direction that is evil and wrong, how do we have a prophetic voice in that? I don't know the answer to that. We'll wait for Peter Christofides to come and then we can, we can ask him. But, but that's my point. The, the point four is this. Point four says this, legalism concerns nearly always good things. Doesn't it? Coming to church is a good thing. In fact, it's an instructed thing. Knowing your Bible is a good thing. That's not a good thing. Uh, Serving is a good thing. Giving is a good thing. Spiritual gifts, they're all good things. Circumcision is not a good thing. I don't know why, but anyway. Most of them are good things, aren't they? And that's the thing with legalism. They start as good things and then they can be manipulated to be seen as, and actually coming back to the circumcision thing, maybe the, the circumcision group were like, well, hang on, this has been in our tradition in the Old Testament, we can't let go of this, this is what it means to follow God. So probably even that came from a good place. So it always nearly starts or comes from good things. And there's a, there's a tension between truth and, and grace. Here's a, a diagram, a square, four squares, Five squares. How many squares can you see in there? <laughs> Actually, there's more than five, seven. I'm struggling with PowerPoint today. Okay, here we go. Keep moving. Okay, uh, the top two is high grace, as in we show grace. We, uh, this is a Christian community. Bottom is low grace, no grace demonstrated or shown. Bottom line here, we've got low truth, to speak truth. There's truth in the Bible. The Bible does call us to live to a higher standard. High truth. And so if we live in the, the high truth but the low grace, we actually get a real legalistic, judgmental church. Black and white, really everything, boom. Low grace, uh, high truth in some areas. Uh, if we live in a low truth, so we don't talk about truth, we don't do what Paul did to Peter and call him on things that were, were wrong. Uh, and low grace, we get a real chaotic church. It's just a mess. We keep moving around. If we live in a high grace church, but low truth church, 
It's a, a permissive church, as in, yes, do whatever you want. Yeah, that's fine, whatever. Um, but that's not the case either, because we're going to see in chapter 4 and 5 of Galatians that, uh, yes, we have liberty in Christ, uh, but there still be uh, outward spiritual um, markers. But these spiritual markers are things like what? The fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, patience. So if we, we don't have truth and high grace, we get permissive. And then lastly, uh, this one here, high truth and high grace, a life-giving church. Now, how, do you, how does that practically work? Uh, that We could thrash that out, but we don't have time. So last point here, let's go to this last point. I feel like I'm lecturing a bit, sorry. Uh, legalism often has a reverse logic. And that is if, if you don't break the law, if I don't break the law, then I, might, I am righteous. So if I'm not actually intentionally breaking any laws, then I am righteous. So if I'm not committing adultery, uh, I'm righteous. But then Jesus says, actually, if I have lust of thoughts with my mind, I'm not righteous. You know, if, if, um, if I'm not breaking the law or doing things that are wrong, then I must be righteous. What about when it comes to things like social justice? And helping the poor and marginalised. Well, I'm not breaking any law, but I'm not going to help them. Well, actually, that's a gospel truth. But legalism says if you're not actually breaking any rules, and especially outwardly, then you must be righteous, then you must be, you must be okay. You must be closer to God. Let me finish with this passage here. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved. This is Paul writing again. Through faith. None of this stuff saves us. Again, good stuff, but none of it saves us. He says it's, gra- it's um, grace, the fact that Jesus would come to us as one of us and that we have faith in him, we trust him, we believe him. And we, sa- we repent and we turn and we orientate our faith t- towards Jesus and I like the fact that this verse goes on as through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. This is a gift from God, not by works, not by any of this stuff. Why? Do you know the end of that passage? So that no one can what? Boast. Why? Because at the foot of the cross, the ground is what? Level. Let me pray. Father, thank you again for your word, Lord. Thank you for your grace in my PowerPoint. <laughs> Lord, Thank you for your grace across the board, Lord, for all of us. That we can come to you, no matter of our nationality, our social status, our education, no matter if we're male or female, rich or poor, no matter if we know the Bible or don't know the Bible, that we are declared righteous purely by having faith in you. It sounds so simple, Lord. And Lord, my prayer is that I would walk in that. My prayer is that all of us here would walk in the freedom that comes from knowing you, that we are declared righteous, that we're a child of God. We sang about that earlier. And that we can live a life that is full and abundant. Father, help us to push against legalism in our own lives, but even as a church. Father, I pray that we wouldn't be a, a, a church or individuals who oscillate or push people away and say, oh, they're not good enough or they're not part of it. No, Lord, that we wouldn't have boundaries, 
Lord, some, sometimes our own cultures in, in our own church can, can become a boundary, Lord, a blocker for stopping people to experience you, Lord. Pray against that. Father, help us to walk in the freedom, the love, the life-giving water that comes from knowing you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.